Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's a great song of declaration that we are all in need of the Lord and that every hour we need him. Amen. Every minute we need him. And one of the ways that he has told us that he meets us in our need is through his word and through the, the preaching and the teaching and then the receiving of, uh, of the word of God. And so that's a continued part of our, of our worship and what we seek to do as a church. And uh, it's part of why we gather in his name so that we can uh, hear from God and God can meet our needs. And largely he does that through the truth of his word. So we're in a series on the book of Acts. Uh, I've entitled it Witnesses, and we're learning and seeing what it means to be a witness to the gospel, especially in the early church. And today, we're going to look at two miracles and the gospel witness that followed. Uh, Miracles, I think, are something that we all uh, like to pray for and do pray for. Most times it involves the healing of someone sick or the healing of someone who's been seriously injured. And I, and I think if we're really honest about it, we would admit that many of our requests for miracles are requested because of the benefit that miracle would bring to us or to our loved ones or to, to friends of ours that we care about. But there's something that's very interesting and unique about almost every miracle in the Bible, especially as we look at the Gospels and the New Testament, and that is that the miracle itself was not the point. In other words, the miracle always served a greater purpose, and that, and that purpose in most cases was just simply glory being given to God. You see, the scripture doesn't discourage us from praying for for miracles, but it it encourages uh, to pray for for those miracles and for purposes that, again, are, are greater than our own, than our own benefit. And in today's text, what we're going to do is we're going to read about two incredible, really incredible miracles that you just heard read. And each of those, uh, each miracle was quite miraculous in, in, in their own right, but each served actually a greater purpose than the miracle that was being performed. And, and in fact, what happens sometimes, it's, it's easy to miss the greater purpose. Sometimes that's what happens with miracles is miracles themselves become the point. The miracle becomes the objective. And believe it or not, sometimes the miracle can become the distraction. Even Jesus himself said this when when he said that many of you are following me just because of the miracles and the works that I'm doing, not for me. So as we're going to see today, and, and again in so many other passages in scripture, God is clearly at work in and through miracles. And he has greater purposes than many of us even realize. So I'm just going to pray and ask the Lord to open our eyes to see what it is that he wants us to see from this very uh, maybe obscure passage uh, in the book of Acts. And hopefully by the time we're done, it won't be so obscure uh, for all of you. Let's pray and ask God to lead us. Lord, we acknowledge that This is your word, 
and that for the truth and the illumination of your word to happen, we need the Holy Spirit of God. We need the spirit to uh, illuminate, to shed light, uh, to help us to understand these things. So we pray for that. We ask for that to happen for each and every person that is here, that they would, they would know that God has a way to speak to them if they have eyes that are open, if they have a heart that is soft, if they have ears that are willing to hear. And so we pray for those things to happen, Lord God, according to your purpose and your will. In Jesus' name, amen. So what I'd like to do in in starting uh, today is just start with a brief uh, explanation of the transition that takes place uh, in this book. Uh, We need to see that and we need to recognize that that a transition has taken place in the book of Acts, where we are right now, to really understand what is going on. So again, Luke is our writer and he is shifting our focus from Saul back to Peter, who was last mentioned in chapter 8. And remember, Luke's goal here in the book of Acts is not to give us a biography on any of the apostles, but he's telling us the story of the early church. And, and, and he can't do that in, in great detail. He can't tell us everything that happened, but he's, he's finding key, uh, key things to tell us, and he's doing that under the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so Peter is now going to take center stage, and he's going to take center stage in the next three chapters. And these two miracles and stories that we just read, they set up a, a very significant shift in the story of gospel advancement in the early church. Another important point to make is about interpretation with these two accounts. These two accounts are are giving us what I would call descriptive narrative. It's not prescriptive instruction. And I, and I think we need to remember that. That's a, that's, that's a hermeneutical approach to how we're understanding this. And we don't want to conflate descriptive narrative as a biblical instruction or with biblical instruction. Uh, because what we have here is a description of things happening. But if, if we read the description and say, oh, so what this means is the instruction is I need to be doing the exact same thing. That would be interpreting this in a little bit of a wrong way and getting and drawing then wrong conclusions. So there are absolutely principles here for us to follow, but they're more in the meaning of the narrative, which we need the spirit of God to help to know than actually in the description of the narrative. So let's work through it. And I hope to make that clear to you. If what I just said wasn't clear, hopefully it will be as we go through. So first we see that Peter displays Christ's power over disease. And we see that in that first story, starting at verse 32. As Peter went here and there among them all, he came to the saints who were at Lydda. He found Aeneas, who was bedridden for eight years, paralyzed. And then Peter performs a miracle. Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, rise, make your bed. Immediately, Aeneas rises. And then all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turn to the Lord. So, Luke again moves to Peter and he tells us that Peter is going here and there. And, and again, that's just a way of saying that he's, he's ministering in different places, kind of itinerant in terms of his ministry. And he goes to Lydda. Now, Lydda is about 25 miles northwest of Jerusalem. 
called Lod in the Old Testament. And it's the same area that is now the site of the Tel Aviv airport. And, and it was a pass-through town because the road that went from Egypt to Syria had passed through it. The road from Joppa to Jerusalem passed through it. And so it was kind of one of these pass-through towns. And Peter is in this town. It's not very significant, but he's in this town. And he comes upon a man, Aeneas, a man who, again, had been bedridden for eight years and was paralyzed. And Luke does not tell us much about him. And that's, again, intentional. He doesn't tell us if he was a believer or not. Again, he doesn't give us much detail. He just goes right to the miracle. And he tells us that Peter said, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, rise and make your bed. And so what Peter does here and what Luke is doing in telling us is is that this miracle is being done in Jesus' name. The miracle is being done in Jesus' name. Jesus does the healing. It's in his power, not Peter. Peter is the instrument But the power is from God. The power is coming from God. And the man immediately rose, which which means that he was instantaneously healed. So this wasn't a gradual healing here. This wasn't progressive healing. He didn't say, you know, go do some physical therapy for six to eight weeks. You'll start to feel better. This was instantaneous wholeness. He was paralyzed and bedridden, and then he was whole. And and so it's another example of, 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 of the types of miracles that we see in the Gospels and then also by the apostles in the book of Acts. Now, one of the things that as you read through this, this miracle should remind you of another one from the Gospels. Because it's very similar to Christ's healing of the paralytic which, of course, Peter witnessed. So what we see here, again, and part of Luke's intent, is that Peter is following the example of Christ. He saw and he learned from Christ, and he's doing what, what he saw Christ do and doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then notice what resulted, verse 35, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, this is the man who was healed, and they turned to the Lord. And so people came to trust Christ. And and so you see that the point of the miracle was not simply to heal the man. The man being healed had greater purposes. Yes, this man obviously wanted to be healed. I mean, he was, he was bedridden for, for, for many years. He was, he was paralyzed. Of course, he was thrilled to be healed. But the reason that he was healed was much more than just so that he could live a normal, better life. And one, one of those reasons was that Christ's power over disease was being made known. Another reason was that the power of God or the power of the Holy Spirit was being displayed in and through the Apostle Peter. And that was intentional. And there's even more uh, in terms of reasons that I'm going to get to in a little bit. And then from there, Luke just very quickly, he just goes right to the next part of, uh, of the story. He doesn't tell us much. He kind of leaves it there and goes. And what we see next is that Peter displays Christ's power over death. 
And we, we see that whole story. Again, it was read already between, from verses 36 through 43. And so what Luke does is he quickly takes us to Joppa. Joppa was about 11 miles north of Lydda, and it was a coastal city. And, and right away, Luke mentions a disciple named Tabitha, and she is introduced. This is the only time, a little bit of trivia here, the only time in the New Testament, and many of you probably won't even care about this trivia, but it's the kind of stuff that I pay attention to, but it's the only time in the New Testament that the feminine form of that Greek word for disciple is used. And, and you would never think that the only time that would be used would be used for Tabitha, who is virtually an unknown person in the New Testament to many of us, or Dorcas, which was her, her Greek name. But Luke is very specific here, and he introduces her as a disciple. Now, he did not do that with Aeneas. Now, because he's the writer, and because we pay attention to things like literary con- context, we would see a contrast between how Luke introduced one person in this story and another, especially the ones who were receiving uh, the, the miracle and having the miracle done to them. And so many would say that Aeneas was, was probably not a believer based on how Luke did that and maybe became one as a result that's very different than Tabitha because he says this was a disciple. And so this disciple, Tabitha, got sick and died. And her friends then washed and prepped her body and then laid her in a room. Which means that they did not immediately move to burial. And they sent then two guys to Lydda to find Peter because they must have known that he was there. And again, Lydda was only about 11 miles or so away. So you're talking about like Dallas to Wilkes-Barre. I mean, it's not that, that far. And said, oh yeah, he's over there. Uh, go get him. He can come and take care of this. So they, so they bring Peter to Joppa, brought him to the room uh, where Tabitha's dead corpse was laid. Other friends were there. Some of them, uh, Luke tells us, were widows. And then they were, Luke tells us they were displaying garments that Tabitha had, had made by hand. Apparently, this was something that, that she had done, probably as a ministry. And, and, they were, and they were saying, yeah, this is something that she had made and, and, and showing it uh, as just a testimony to her. So I was reading that and I was thinking, wow, this could potentially be like the first hugs ministry in the, in the Bible. We have that ministry here in our church, the quilting ministry. Well, you know, here, here's Tabitha giving, making things and then giving them out and, uh, and doing that as, as ministry. So Peter, he puts all of the people outside. He gets there and he tells all the people in the room, go out. And then he knelt and he prayed. Now, probably what he's doing here is he's asking what the Lord's will is in relation to this woman, Tabitha. And, 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 and we don't, we don't, Luke doesn't tell us specifically, but he obviously gets some sort of confirmation that God is going to do this, and then he turns to the body. So, so you see the, notice the difference here. He's praying to God, asking, okay, what is your will? Then he, pray, then he turns to the body, and he's not praying to the body. He's telling the body what to do. He's telling a dead body what to do, and he's doing that in the name of Christ because he has just received direction from God 
that I'm going to do this. And only Jesus speaks to dead corpses and they rise. Amen? Right? I mean, this is what he does. He's, he, he does this. And so Peter says, Tabitha, arise. And again, in the name of Jesus, and she opens her eyes, saw Peter, sat up, and then he helps her up. And then he calls the saints. Peter calls the saints back into the room and presents Tabitha alive. And again, you read through this and, and you say, boy, this seems familiar too. This, this seems like a, a story that we read in the gospels where Jesus raised the daughter of, of Jairus in Luke 8. And it is very similar again. And in both miracles, what we see here and what Luke is telling us is that Peter is following the example of his Lord. Things that he had seen Jesus do. And again, Luke doesn't fill us in on a whole lot of detail here. I mean, think about these two stories. Certainly much more happened, right? I mean, certainly. You know, you know people, right? When they tell a story, there's like one person who tells, they can tell you something that happened in 30 seconds and another person can tell you that same exact thing and it takes 10 minutes, right? There's just a different way of telling stories, right? Well, Luke's kind of getting right to the point here. He's not, he, he's not putting in all of uh, the details. He's not saying, well, the weather that day was windy. You know, the dust was coming up and you're going, okay, what, is, what does that have to do with, with what you're telling me? He gets right to the point. And, and so it's likely also that what we see here in, in, in what Luke is telling us is that Peter probably followed these miracles with, with preaching. He did that in Acts chapter 3. He doesn't tell us that he did that, but that pretty much was the pattern of, of the apostles was to perform a miracle and then preach the gospel. And then, of course, we have in both people coming to faith in Christ. In, in verse 42, it says, and many believed in the Lord. And so we see that that is clearly one of the reasons for this miracle was, was the opportunity to preach the gospel, the gospel then for people to hear it and to respond after seeing what they saw and many believed in the Lord. And what's also, what I think we have to, take note of, and I, it's obvious to all of us, especially, you know, we go to church all the time and read the Bible all the time, and maybe we kind of, it can become too familiar to us, but many believed in the Lord, not Peter. See, the point here is that Peter is drawing people to Christ, not to himself. In Acts chapter 8, when we were studying through that chapter, we studied the example of Simon the sorcerer, remember? And he wanted, he wanted the spirit's power. In fact, he wanted to buy it. And, and he wanted it so he could gain followers, right? He wanted people to follow him. Peter here, he's not looking for a television healing ministry. He's not looking to, to develop something like that. He's simply looking to make Christ known, and he's following the leading of the Holy Spirit. And the leading of the Spirit is also make Christ known. One of the ways I think we can tell that somebody's actually doing the work of God is, and the work of the Spirit is that the Spirit's ministry is to make much of 
Christ, not the person. And we see that here with Peter. Notice also how the church looked for Peter to come and pray. And, and you should know something. I want you to know something as, as, as one of your pastors, that our elders and our pastors are here and available to all of you to pray over those of you who seek that prayer. And there's not, and I'm not saying that because there's something very special about us and about our prayers. But the scripture says, again, following scripture, scripture says in James that the sick person should call. So the, the impetus then is upon the sick person to call for the elders to come and to pray. And I want you to know we are here to do that if needed. You let us know. We'll be happy to be a part of coming and praying over you. And many have been blessed as a result of doing so. What I want to do now is I want to move into some biblical instruction on miracles uh, just to help us with solid biblical interpretation here. And I think we already went through the text to understand what's being said, what's not being said. But again, I want to go into a little bit more uh, explanation here on just the biblical instruction on miracles. And again, remember, these accounts are descriptive, not prescriptive. So first is this, miracles depend entirely on God's power, God's purpose, and God's will, not ours. Miracles depend entirely on God, his, not just his power, but his purpose and his will. And, and, and too many ministries, too many teachers, many of them on television, draw wrong conclusions from texts like this. They'll take a text like this and then they will draw a, a, an instructive conclusion out of a description. And they'll say, if you have enough faith, God will heal every, heal every sick person and even give us the power to raise the dead as if it was never God's will that someone not be healed and he could be glorified through that. And that would make miracles depend more on us. And they don't depend on us. They depend on God, on his power, his purpose, and his will. Now, it's true. We must have faith. Absolutely. I mean, we, we know that without faith, it's impossible to please God. No doubt about that. But remember this. All the faith in the world will never make God do anything that is not in his will and purpose to do. Now, I've read some Christian books on prayer that have literally described God being almost dependent on us as we pray for him to move. That's their impetus for getting us to pray. The problem is it weakens God. It's not, it's not right. It's not, that's not how he works. He's God. We're not. And so what we do is we pray and we petition. And I think even in the example here of Peter, we saw that so clearly. And Peter knelt and he prayed and he got direction from God and the Holy Spirit. What are you going to do here? Then he turns to the body and he gives the command. But he does that because he knows that this is what God is leading him to do. This is not what Peter is doing on his own. So the reality is, is that we all have, uh, we've all desperately prayed for loved ones to be healed that we're not healed. All of us. I've been there. We've, we've all done that. That doesn't mean God is powerless. 
It means that he has chosen to be glorified through either their sickness and death rather than through the miracle of their healing. And ultimately what he's saying to us is trust me. And we need to believe that our God is good and that he has good plans and perfect plans. And we need to trust his purposes, not our own. This is the issue. The real issue with us is we want him to trust our purpose because we think our purpose is better than his. And he's God, we're not. Second, we do not determine who gets healed and who does not. And this is kind of flows out of what I just said. We humanity, humanity, we do not determine who gets healed and who does not. We need to remember again, we're not God. We're not the ones making the determination. We do pray though. We do pray. We pray wholeheartedly and we do pray with great faith. We even plead with God, but we do not make deals with God. Do not pray in that way. Do not pray in a way where you're making some sort of deal with God. God, if you do this for me, here's what I'll do for you. As if God is bartering with you, as if he's not God. We request, we ask, we bring our brokenness, our broken hearts even before him with what we're praying over. But in the end, we realize he is God. We're not, and we trust him. And third, true miracles of God always point to Christ and his gospel. True miracles of God always point to Christ and his gospel. gospel. Miracles do not exist to make much of humanity They make much of God. When God performs a miracle, he does so for his name's sake, for him to be glorified, for him to be honored. Peter said, Jesus Christ heals you. Not in the name of Peter, but in the name of Christ. Remember again, Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter eight, he wanted the spirit's power for his own glory. And, and, and Peter said to him, you, you, you're, you're lucky you're still alive after saying that. Like, what is, do you realize what you're dealing with here? Miracles exist to make much of God, not much of the instruments that he uses to perform the miracle. Now, let me answer another question that is, again, I think, related to this text that may not be as obvious to us. Why are these two accounts even recorded for us? Especially when you look at the book of Acts and you see Saul's conversion and then what happens after. And then we're going to head into a very significant passage of scripture as we start looking at this next week. We're going to look at Peter's vision. And, um, and so why, why these, what's going on here? It just seems almost out of place. Well, the reason is that the spirit is intentionally advancing the gospel into Gentile areas. There is something significant happening. Again, Luke is not telling the story of Peter. He's not telling the story of Aeneas. He's not telling the story of Tabitha. He's telling the story of the church. He's telling the story of what God is doing and how God is working in and through his church. And this is why I think expositional preaching helps us. It helps us so much because it helps us to understand the whole of the Bible in connection and then also in connection with the, with the author. So follow me on this. Don't miss this. These, these miracles were performed here by a Jewish apostle on Jewish people, but the, but the commercial centers of Lydda and Joppa were largely Gentile. 
So Peter is also specifically in mind here. These miracles are not just about those being healed. They're actually about Peter too. Peter is specifically being used by God here. Remember the the shift took place, right? Saul's out doing his thing. Now God is using Peter in a very specific way. Peter is being used in these miracles because Peter needs to understand what the spirit of God is doing. And he's going to be a part of it. And he is officially. Now it's happened before. We've had the gospel go to Gentiles before, but in a more official way, he is officially bringing the gospel to the Gentiles and and Peter is going to be principally involved. And this is going to become crystal clear next week as we look at this, uh, that uh, the next chapter. Now look at verse 43, because you might blow over 43 and think that's not really important. He stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon a Tanner. It's actually significant to what Luke is telling us. Peter stays in Joppa. Why? Well, based on what we know, Peter and Paul and, and Saul and, and, and these other uh, apostles, Ananias, they're, they're doing what the Spirit's leading them to do. So we understand that he's in Joppa probably because the Spirit led him to stay there. But Luke tells us he's staying with Simon the Tanner. Tanners were those who tanned animal skins and hides so they could be used for various purposes. Why does it matter that Peter was staying with him? Well, tanners were typically spurned by Jews, especially, you know, fastidious uh, Jews who, who really uh, applied the, the ceremonial laws and, and, and traditions because tanners were unclean. Why were they unclean? Well, their, their profession made them unclean. They dealt with animal carcasses. It, it, in fact, they would consider the whole profession of, of a tanner as an unclean profession. Yet that is where the spirit leads Peter to go and stay in this guy's house. Here's Peter, the apostle, a Jewish follower of Christ, staying in the house of a tanner. Peter is now by many considered himself to be unclean. What's going on? God is preparing Peter for what's to come. We're going to look at that again next week, but it's a big part of what's going on here. Now, we're going to look, I said, like I said, we're going to look further into the text and we'll go on next week. But what I want to do is just draw out some application and response from this text that we just saw today. And the first one is this miracles themselves are never the only objective. And I know I said that already in a little bit of a different way, but they're never the only objective. If God is going to perform a miracle, you can be sure he has purposes in mind that you are not at all aware of. Think about that. Whatever miracle we pray for, we like to think that we know why it should be performed. But even if God does it, he's going to do it for reasons that we're probably not even aware of. Now, here's the thing. If he does not perform a miracle, the same is also true. We don't know all the reasons for why he did not. Remember the first miracle of Jesus, the wedding at Cana? His dear, dear mother is at a wedding with Jesus next to him. And, and the story goes, John's gospel tells this, and, and the story goes that they run out of wine, 
right? And so they're sitting, you know, you just picture this wedding. Don't, don't imagine something that's not realistic. You know, a lot of times we do that with the Bible, right? Imagine a wedding, like this real Jewish wedding where a lot of, uh, you know, celebrating is happening and they ran out of wine. And so, you know, mom leans over to son and says, uh, uh, Jesus, they ran out of wine. You know what Jesus told her? Every mom in here is going to cringe. He goes, what does this have to do with me? (laughs) That's not a way for you sons to talk to your moms. But you're going, what? What does this have to do with me? And then Jesus said this to her. My hour has not yet come. Now, why did he say those two things? Because none of that has to do with wine. None of that has to do with the wedding. Mary is saying they need some wine. And that's because already we see, even with the first miracle, the miracle is never only about the miracle. Jesus knew this miracle has far greater purposes, mom, than you know then you even realize, you don't even realize what you're asking of me to do. But we forget that when we ask and look for miracles. In fact, later in that story, John the apostle tells us that after the miracle was performed, because Jesus does do the miracle, he says that it manifested his glory. In other words, there's something more going on. It's always about his glory. Second uh, point that I want to draw out of this text is this. True Christ followers must fight all personal and cultural prejudice, which hinders gospel witness. This is, this is kind of the story within the story here. We're going to see even this in more detail as we look next week. But it's getting set up. Luke is setting it up here. One of the stories here is that Peter was learning to get rid of some of his cultural biases, the cultural biases that he had, biases that were more Jewish than they were Christ-likeness. It wasn't from Christ, it was from being, it was his Jewish heritage. Staying with a tanner would have been hard for him because of his Jewishness, not because of his commitment to Christ. The gospel going to Gentiles was hard for him. To understand because his whole life, his whole life, he had thought, he had been taught that, that Gentiles were lesser people than him. They weren't Abraham's descendants. But now he's being asked to leave that behind. God is doing a work in Peter as well here. And it's the same with us. We need to fight all prejudice that is rooted in our past, in our flesh, and not in the gospel. Now, you've heard me talk a lot about social justice and all of that, and all of the things that we've talked about are are true. We, We need to be aware of these things, but we also need to be aware of the biases that we carry. And it's possible that you grew up in a home where it was common or even normal to think less of certain people. It was maybe just the way you grew up. Maybe you didn't even do anything about it, but it was just how you were taught, whether they had black skin or brown skin or or even white skin, because it applies. 
or even those who speak another language or those who are just a different ethnic background, what we need to realize as Christians is that, that that's a prejudice that's hindering gospel witness if it's there. And it was the same with Peter. He needed to, that was something that needed to drop from him. It needed to go and it was going to. He's, he's going to see firsthand that no matter what he thinks, the gospel is going to all people. He's going to witness it. He's going to see it. He's going to participate in it. Even while he himself is dealing with his own internal stuff going on. And it's the same with all of us. This church, Fellowship Church, it does not exist just for people who, who look like us, who talk like us. This church exists for all people. All people. All colors. All ethnic backgrounds. All socioeconomic backgrounds. It's for all people. Because the gospel is for all people. And this is, this is what... This is what part, a part of what's happening here in the book of Acts is the gospel is getting, is getting launched from a, maybe more of a, of a Jewish focus and it's going to go to all people. And as Jesus said, nothing is getting in the way of what it is that he's doing. You know, the gates of hell are not going to prevail. So our unity as a body, as a, as a church, it's in Christ, but we have to drop the prejudices that we, that we have, no matter what they are. And again, that, that goes for all, all skin colors, all people of all different languages, for all of us to apply as believers. Not just one group, not just another, but all of us. And this is the work that God wants to do in us so that we can be the gospel witnesses that he's called us to be. So these miracles, they helped Peter to see that God was doing something bigger, something greater than Peter even imagined, but it was his biases that were getting in the way. And again, that was about to change. And and when I say they're getting in the way, they're not getting, I mean, it's not like he's being defiant because he's doing what it is he's supposed to do, but God is doing a work in him because he went to the Tanner's house and he's going to do what we're going to see starting next week. So Peter just performed two powerful miracles. He literally raised a dead person to life, yet there's still work to do in him. Isn't that amazing to see how God is at work in all of us? And it's the same with every single one of us. God is still performing miracles. He's more than capable, more than powerful, but he's still gonna be doing work in us. He's God, not us. So if you're praying for a miracle, I want to encourage you, keep praying. But trust God. Trust your God. Know that he has purposes far beyond your understanding. And this is where trust comes in. Purposes that bring him glory even and that accomplish his will even as we don't understand them. But we still trust him with them. And that's my prayer, that we would all be able to trust him with the things that we are all going through, no matter how difficult, no matter how hard they are for us to understand. All right, let's pray together. 
Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it speaks to us. We thank you that we serve a God that performs and still performs miracles. He's powerful. He's able to speak uh, to a dead person and raise that person to life. And we see that happening in the spiritual world all the time. Someone who is spiritually dead hears the gospel and responds and has given life. May we never uh, undermine uh, uh, that, that miracle of, of salvation that you have worked. Help us, Lord, to, to, to understand uh, what we're reading here, how the gospel is going forward to all people. But all of us need to realize maybe the biases that are in our own hearts and help us to give those up to you and to, to say, Lord God, do a work in me as you need to so that I can be the witness that you've called me to be. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your power. We ask you to continue to go, uh, to go with us and to continue to teach us, even as we now continue to sing uh, worship and truth and praise to you. In Jesus' name, amen.